Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Advent theme has been home, and uh, we're continuing that 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 conversation, that theme this morning. Last week was the way back home, and uh, uh, this morning, uh, if, if there's a sort of general theme, it is it is the title, I suppose, would be Welcome Home. And for each of these expressions, we're looking at passages in Isaiah, many of them that are associated with Christmas, that anticipate uh, Jesus. We, we're kind of walking through and looking just at a few of those in, in the writing of Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet. Again, Isaiah, helpful because even the gospel writers, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, other New Testament writers who were trying to make sense of Jesus and who he was and what they what they witnessed as they experienced his life, many of them go back to Isaiah and use uh, his language, his truth that he wrote uh, in anticipation of God coming to be with us. So that's sort of the approach that we've taken. Uh, some of them really familiar, like Isaiah 9, our first Sunday of Advent, uh, that uh, God would come, there would be a child born, right? And he would be a wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father. Last week was maybe less familiar with Isaiah 35, that God would come uh, in joy, that he would bring joy. But today we're in a passage of scripture that's probably familiar, uh, at least the chapter anyway, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look at the theme of welcome home. We, we sang last week uh, a Christmas carol. There's been some debate in my life about what my favorite Christmas carol is. We sang Christmas carols, one in particular around Park City last year, uh, a few times and pulled them out well into the year 2020. And we may do the same thing again, right? Such good and rich truth in them. Last year, it was, uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Uh, we're still kind of um, wrestling with where we may land this year. But last week, we sang uh, another good one. And it was, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, right? This 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 picture that Christ was born, that uh, despite all that sort of Satan has worked in the world and my own waywardness, that God would work rest uh, in our hearts and lives. But uh, we've been singing it around our house this week, and one of my daughters um, was singing it uh, uh, over the course of this week, and it came out something like, God rest ye messy gentlemen, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, God rest ye messy gentlemen. And I, I wonder if sometimes that's maybe not a, a very appropriate uh, way to put it. Probably more appropriate than we would care to ad- admit. Uh, and and I, actually, I think Isaiah, our reading this morning, speaks, speaks precisely into that kind of expression. That in the middle of all of our mess, and the mess that Israel has made of their story in the Old Testament and the mess we make of our lives as individuals and corporately, in the middle of all of that, we hear the, the grace-filled word of our passage this morning, comfort, right? Comfort, comfort, right there at verse 1. It's this uh, abrupt uh, shift in the tone of Isaiah out of nowhere, unsolicited really in, in terms of its merit. It's not deserved. We hear this announcement, comfort, comfort. Last week, again, the, the introducing word of the passage was joy, rejoice. This week, comfort, much as we sang, right? Tidings of comfort and joy, the message of Advent of Christmas. I think the word comfort 
a lot of times we, you know, typically when I think of it from my experience, it's like, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to press yourself. You know, you got to stretch all that kind of stuff. But, but really, if we, if we hear it in the context of Isaiah, comfort is a remarkably grace filled word that, that over the course of his writing, there have been approximately 39 chapters, right? precisely 39 chapters, as this is number 40, uh, precisely 39 chapters of intensity and often judgment. Uh, you know, that the, an acknowledgement as Isaiah writes to the people of Israel and their story of brokenness and, and getting it wrong, occasionally right, glimmers of hope as we saw in the last couple of weeks, but generally just making a mess of things and right into the middle of all of that comfort. Comfort, all is paid all is forgiven, is the announcement Isaiah is instructed to write to the people of Israel. There is, there is, a, there is a finality here. A, 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 this is a declaration of fact, comfort, into the middle of all of your mess. And maybe, maybe you are here this morning or listening. Uh, maybe, maybe comfort is a word that you need to hear. Right? Again, Isaiah's audience that he's writing the people that uh, are the lived experience of these people to whom he, he breathes this gospel word comfort are, are people who have lived through 39 chapters, if you will, of judgment and, 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 and difficulty. Their lives and their world uh, terribly, uh, seemingly irrevocably like broken and much of it their fault. Isaiah has been really honest about all of that, which again is probably closer to true for our own stories than, than we would care to admit. Maybe, uh, I think, regardless of the state of the mess in your own life, maybe you feel that messiness acutely this morning. Maybe you're like, things are pretty good. But regardless, uh, it's, a, it's a, a state, a, an experience that we know, that we understand, that we oftentimes feel and make a mess of our lives. And yet into that messiness, we hear this, this word, comfort. This word in Isaiah comes again at no sort of, uh, it, it's not a response to good behavior from the Israelites, right? This word in, in the course of reading, you know, chapters one, two, I could count to 39. Should we? No. My Jess has given me the hard no, right? All the way through, Jess being my wife, um, the, the hard, uh, you know, just uh, words, of, just the making a mess of, of things. And, and there's no sort of like, okay, they've improved. You get around chapter 15, things are looking better. They're kind of getting things a little more right. None of that. Out of the middle of their mess, no change in their position or status or activity. They hear this grace-filled word, this announcement, Isaiah says, from God. Comfort. Comfort. <laughs> right? Uh, why? I think then, why is why this word of good news? What, what is making this difference? If this is where we start this morning, comfort, good news in the middle of your mess and mine. What's the uh, source then? Why is this good news. And I think the kids are having a really good time this morning, but um, hopefully you're having just as much fun in here with me. Uh, I think we find the answer to this in verses 9 and 10 uh, explicitly stated in our reading this morning. Isaiah says, what's the source of all this comfort in your life? Behold or look, your God comes to you. Your God 
comes to you, he says. There's a couple of things I'd like for you to consider about uh, this announcement. The first is that, uh, which we see at the beginning of the passage, the first is that God comes to them through the desert. Precisely, again, to make a similar point, precisely through the barren, sort of dry, empty places, God is coming to them through the desert. It's an image that's not without significance, which we heard last week. God bringing deliverance to his people through the wilderness, through the desert, coming to to work on their behalf, but also to care for them and provide for them. Uh, God coming to, to take care of his people again through the wilderness sounds a lot like the Exodus. And this is not an accident on the part of Isaiah. He's, he's calling uh, to memory uh, for these people to whom he's writing to remember this. This is what it, God will come to us precisely in the place of, of uh, weakness in the desert is where he will come in the middle of all of that wilderness. Again, not to overstate the image, but for those of you perhaps here in that stretch of wilderness this morning, there is this announcement, your God comes to you there. Comfort, grace, and joy precisely in the wilderness. But I want to maybe draw your attention to maybe just a couple more uh, nuances to what it will look like, Isaiah tells us, when God God comes. The first is in verses 3 through 5, and we get this image of mountains and, and valleys, mountains and valleys. Prepare a way in the desert, he says. Your God comes to you, right? And when he comes, he's going to uh, level mountains and elevate valleys. If, um, if, you, if you would perhaps permit me, I think a bit of, of what is being stated here is that there'll be some aspect to, to this grace uh, movement of God coming into our lives in which he's going to take the places that are low and weak in your life and in the world, and he's going to lift them up. But by the same token, he's going to take all the places where we tend to plant our feet on the strength of our own ability and security, and he's going to level them. That there is this aspect to God's coming in which he he just kind of flips all of us, all the places where we tend to rest secure. um, Those places get humbled and all the places where we feel weak or inadequate, uh, God uh, lifts. It's a theme that Mary picks up when she's getting ready to welcome Jesus into her home. The passage that Nicole and Ryan and Reagan and Collins read for us, uh, a bit of it in the prayer this morning, Mary picks up this exact theme. She says in Luke chapter 1 that when he comes, as she's preparing to welcome him home, he will come, he, God will, through this will scatter the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He will bring down the mighty from their thrones and he will exalt those of humble estate. Leveling mountains, lifting valleys. I heard someone describe it like a snow day. Uh, you know, it, it's an analogy that I think only works so far, but you know, like when, when a snow day comes, it just, it just brings everything to a stop and sort of, it covers up the dirty bits, right? Like just the kind of messy spaces in, in our, in our world. And, and just, there's this stillness, everything, just everything kind of comes typically comes to to a stop. There is this sense in which God's coming has this, I think Isaiah would indicate a similar kind of effect. The places perhaps that we keep covered or are ashamed of or are weak and the places in which we rest on our own laurels. Uh, He says God has a way when he comes of flipping all of that. But there's another aspect uh, to his coming that we see 
uh, here at the end, this is in verses 9 uh, through 11, we, we get another image that occurs over and over again in, in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. And it's this image of the arm of the Lord. It says that when, the, when, when he comes, behold, your, God's come, your God comes to you with strength, he says, and he will, he will bear his arm in a way and work, uh, work his might on your behalf. And then he turns right around and uh, says that that same arm will, will lift you up like a shepherd. That here in, in this one image, Isaiah kind of, again, takes it and works. He just works both, both sides of it in a sense, if you will, that, that your God will come with the strength to change, to work against what is evil and broken, but with the care of a shepherd who will pick up the weak places in your life. It is, again, an image that finds its way into Mary's prayer. As she prepares her home and heart for Jesus, not knowing fully what all of this will mean, prays that his arm would come and show strength on behalf of all that is weak and broken. He comes with the strength again to address all of that, all the mess, the evil, the broken in our world and in our hearts, right? He doesn't leave that stuff just kind of, you know, wishy-washy, cover it up. He comes with the strength to, to address it and change it but also with the care of a shepherd, an image that Jesus himself will pick up. I, he says, am the good shepherd. It is, again, I think a sense in which Isaiah uh, invites us into this theme of, of home. What, what is all of this saying? Well, he's, he's preparing them. Look, this is a word of grace that in the midst of your mess, comfort your God comes to you. And while the gospel story is certainly about God welcoming us, it's the story of the prodigal son. We are wayward. God welcomes us. Isaiah invites us again into maybe just a, the other side of that experience, that there is a sense in which we welcome God home. We welcome him here into the middle of our mess and brokenness and sinfulness, God in his grace and in his strength comes it's the language of the beginning of our passage in the wilderness. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Get ready. Get ready to welcome him home. It's, it's a, again, I, I'm hoping to paint a, a broad picture. It's, it's where the whole story of scripture lands. We, we find, uh, again, a we could go a number of places, but one moment in the book of Revelation as the writer writes to churches of the New Testament and different geographical regions, kind of in different spaces of their spiritual walk, and to one of them he says, this is the word of Jesus to you. Behold, I'm at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will, I will come into him. The, the, the call then is to welcome him home. And, and interestingly, the issue in Revelation is often one that we still contend with. The context of that invitation to be a heart and a life that welcomes God home is this. Uh, in Revelation, he says, you are a church, right? You, you are a people who say, I am rich. I have prospered. I don't need anything. All the while, he says, not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable poor and blind and naked. And you're thinking, Merry Christmas, <laughs> right? Like, where is, is the hope here? But the hope of the gospel is that into, into the middle of all of that mess, we hear the word comfort, your God comes to you. Which I think brings us to kind of the, the last 
maybe point to consider this morning. Like, if, if the good news is comfort in your wilderness and mess, and it's a result of the fact that God uh, comes to you, I, I think maybe another question to consider is, well, why is that good news? A lot of times, look, behold, your God comes. is a very threatening, like, invocation. Or, you know, like, we want to use it to sort of, <laughs> right? Uh, why is it good news in this moment in Isaiah? And for this, I want to take us to the heart of the reading, a stanza right in the middle, verses 6 through 8 or so. Isaiah gives us an image that I think helps us understand why this is good news. He says, all flesh is grass. All flesh is grass. Again, you're thinking, man, it's almost Christmas time, Pastor Matt. We're, I, we're gonna, we're, we're, we're aiming there. But, but what Isaiah does in this moment is this is why it's good news, right? That God comes to us even in our mess because on our own, all flesh is grass. The good news of the gospel is that God is working and his work is durable. It lasts, he says. He uses this imagery that, that uh, humanity and all of our weakness, there is no staying power as much as we think. Uh, God, he says that, that we all flesh is grass. And yet in the midst of that, this word of comfort from the voice of one who has the strength to work what will never fall in your life and mine. The hope in this passage is that uh, hope comes not from my effort or yours, that hope comes not from uh, my effort or, or a lack of it, but from his, that God is the one who comes. He is the one who acts, who, who works, that while I sit or while I sleep or while I'm distracted with a great many things or while I work or while I wait, the announcement in Isaiah as your God comes, he is the one who acts on your behalf. And this imagery of all flesh being grass, I feel in Isaiah, drives this point home. It's interesting, uh, interesting to me at least, I'll leave you to decide for yourselves. Of the four gospels in the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the only two that give us the Christmas story in any way that we kind of you know, recognize are, uh, uh, Matthew and Luke, right? It's in Matthew and Luke we get shepherds and angels and wise men and stables and nativity, right? All the things we associate with, with Christmas. John's gospel is a bit of an outlier, but he still gives us language that resonates. Light has come into the world and, and we'll reflect on a bit of that language at Christmas Eve. Mark's, uh, the earliest uh, account, Mark's takes a different approach to this announcement of good news. Do you want to know where Mark starts? He begins abruptly, this is the good news of the Son of God, right? This is the gospel, the good news of the Son of God, very abrupt. And, and, and uh, consider for a moment where he goes next. Where Mark goes next is Isaiah chapter 40, is what we read this morning. Prepare a way in the desert, right? Prepare a way. Prepare the way for the Lord, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Mark will say. What we find in Mark, no nativity, no shepherds, no wise man or men. What we find in, in Mark is immediately he takes us to broken people looking for help in the desert. Broken people gathered around the voice of a rather eccentric prophet named John the Baptist, looking for help in the middle of their mess. It's as if Mark reminds us, the Christmas story 
although all of those beautiful elements are necessary, the Christmas story really begins with our need for help, our need for a a savior, because all flesh is grass. All flesh is grass. I want to see, uh, perhaps, if you'll indulge me, if I can maybe use another image to, to help bring uh, this point home. Uh, comfort in the, <laughs> as your God comes to you in the middle of all of your messiness. And, and I'm going to use, uh, the image I want to use is Trello. Anyone familiar with Trello? Great. All right. Yes, let me, ex- yes, yes, Trello. All right. Awesome. So for the rest of you, uh, <laughs> uh, for lack of a, but I'm, I'm, I may get this uh, very wrong, but Trello's, uh, we'll, let's call it a productivity tool, right? It's like, it's like a, a planner, a, a digital sort of space where you plan and organize work. And it's a shared space. So let's say you're at an office with a group, a team, everyone's kind of using this board online to, to assign tasks and divvy them up and kind of lay out timelines. It's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. I have a bit of a conflicted relationship with Trello. And the reason for that is my wife, Jess, is very good at it, and I hate it, okay? Uh, just, we'll just be really candid, right? Uh, like, she is very good. She is so good, in fact. Her, uh, where she works, they asked her to, you know, they do these, like, lunch and learns. I'm like, Jess, will you come and, and teach us, show us what you're doing with Trello, because you're doing such a great job being, using this, this tool uh, to, to great effect, which is great. I'm, I'm really happy for her. Uh, I, on the other hand, right, I, on the other hand, am jotting down notes on, like, junk pieces of mail in the car, right? <laughs> like, uh, I, I may or may not have said this over the last few months. Jess, have you seen that? It, was a, it just looks like a piece of trash, a blue envelope, like, empty, and I had written all my passwords on it, right? <laughs> and uh, if you find that, please return it uh, to me. But, um, yeah, right? Like, uh, again, I have a bit of a conflicted relationship with, with Trello. And... Um, I, uh, let me be clear first. Let me be clear first of all. Like, I'm, I'm making a bit of fun. It's a little tongue in cheek. Uh, I'm not knocking Trello or, or planning uh, or being productive, all, all of those things, right? Like, I, I just want to be very clear. Um, but here's, here's maybe, I want to suggest where uh, this sort of tension in my life uh, finds some expression in Isaiah. Uh, because, right, because I think what Isaiah sort of, um, uh, reveals to us in this moment is this tendency in the human heart to um, to kind of anchor m- my hope in a in a sort of uh, a future wh- where where I will be a better version of myself. Right? For me, maybe it's Trello and being more organized. Right? It seems like a trivial thing, but there's this pull in us like this is the thing I'm going to improve. And 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 I, I, in that move, I anchor my hope in some kind of better version. Of myself, it might be something different for you, but I think Isaiah tells us that that tendency is in all of us. That's what we might call a mountain, that place of security, that that thing, that thing we 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 aim for. That that if we could just sort of make this change or this improvement, particularly around this time of year as we approach the end of a year and the beginning of another one, man, it's tempting to kind of place our weight on our own two feet to trust in some better version of who we can become in, in the future. And to that pull, Isaiah says, all flesh is grass. If I could use another image, how many of you guys have seen the documentary Free Solo? 
Uh, it's on Disney. The guy's like, he's climbing uh, El Capitan, right? The, the sort of climb, uh, climactic, you know, the pinnacle of mountain climbing, but he's climbing with no safety measures, right? Totally free climbing. I forget how many thousands of feet. Uh, he's, uh, Alex Honnold is, is making this climb. It's remarkable. A little unsettling. Uh, we watched it, actually, as a family. And Jess was like, you think the girls would enjoy a mountain climbing class? And I said, no, are you crazy? <laughs> right? Like, If you set my kid on this trajectory, uh, we're going to have an issue. But, uh, but it was interesting watching, watching this uh, documentary because, uh, because of the way he, I found it interesting the way he talked about it. He, he explicitly kind of ties together the, the need for performance and perfection. That, uh, which, again, is understandable, but, but seemed to be thriving on this move that he liked the feeling that he had done something perfectly, that he'd kind of been this perfect version of, of what was required of him. And the only way to know that, which I think is, and this is biblical truth here, the only way to know that was at the stakes for life and death. But ironically, and spoiler alert, right? I mean, he makes it. I didn't give the wrong spoiler alert, but, but you get to the end of the documentary, and you can, you can kind of feel it coming. Uh, they start, you know, they're wrapping the story up and he's done. It's great. Uh, but they ask him, you know, they, they, they cut to him kind of like, what is next? And he's already in his van doing finger holds, like holding his body weight with one finger, two fingers, already preparing for whatever that next rung is. We've just spent an hour and a half celebrating perfection, control, and already there's another rung another kind of relentless sort of pursuit of what will give him staying power. For me, it's just Trello, so I'm not feeling so bad, right? <laughs> but, but here's what I want to suggest to you this morning as we kind of attempt to land this thing. My, my, again, my hunch is we've all got those finger holds, right? We've all got like those spaces in our lives uh, that, that kind of press us to improve, to just, if I could just reach this next rung. That, that space where we kind of anchor our worth in, in that improved version of maybe who we are now. Sometimes it's deep, it's sin and habitual and we're wrestling and we just can't get it. If I could just get this under control. And sometimes it's, a, you know, not quite so sinister. Not, not, you know, maybe it's relationship goals or career goals or regrets we're outrunning or self-improvements, all those kinds of maybe slightly less, you know, threatening things. But nonetheless, just as, um, as Isaiah would put it, just as fleeting. All flesh, he says, is grass. I would ask you, what are those finger holds in your life this morning? What are those mountains that you sort of planted your feet on to which Isaiah says your God comes and when he comes he levels the mountains and lifts up the weakness I think the season of Advent and Christmas again it's an image he uses here the only thing that will last forever will be the word and work of God his word the word become flesh it's work in your life God comes to you. The seasons of Advent and Christmas, I think on the one hand, remind us of this truth. All flesh is grass. But then they invite us into the promise that God is the one. God, it's God's strength and care, not your own, to make the difference. That God is the one at work and acting 
Invite us into the rest, you know, not of whomever we might be able to become in the future, but into the promise of God's presence with us now, precisely in your mess and your brokenness. This moment, that all of that effort, all that drive to perform or reach whatever is next, if I could just, right, the, the language we, we probably tend to use is, is, right, life will be good when, Isaiah says there is only one, there is only one legitimate way to finish that sentence. Life will be good when you welcome God home. Not after you fix the mess, but right into the middle of the desert and wilderness and messy gentlemanliness of your life. All that effort, all that drive to perform, Isaiah says, it's unsustainable. In fact, he will pick this image up much later in the chapter with a passage of scripture that's really inspirational. We love to throw it on pictures and stuff. You may have heard it if you've been around the church. But but he, he just steps further into this truth. Even youths, he says, even young men and women will get tired and weary. Even strong youths will, will stumble and fall. Your strength will run out. But he says, those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings. Like eagles, this is the Christmas gospel truth that we rest in the promise that God strengthen care, not our own, have brought us life, forgiveness, and pardon in the middle of the mess. So it's it's in that moment that we say, come, right? Come, come, Lord Jesus, be welcomed home. Be welcomed home in my heart and in my life, in my home, in my church, in my family, in my community. Be welcomed home. Come, come in our world, Jesus. As we prepare to celebrate your coming at Christmas, we say, come, come now into my desert and wilderness and mess. Come now and come again. We stand and sing. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.